What's going on guys, it's Nate the Effing Great, and it is time for another edition of Brace for Impact, the only show that will always bring you total non-stop action. Part of Russell Attic Radio, ladies and gentlemen, I am the paladin of positivity, but be sure to also check out the great shows that we have on Russell Attic Radio, including the Young Lions Perspective, the Fretzelmania Podcast, and the Kings of the Ring Podcast. Guys, there is quite a bit to talk about when it comes to TNA, mainly in regards to Scott Demore and his <clears throat> release as the president of the company. In addition to that, I will also be covering TNA Final Resolution 2008, which, guys, it's quite an interesting show, and honestly, it might just paint a bit of a picture as to what you might expect going into the 2009 times. But, like I said, we'll talk about that more once we get into that deal. But let's first talk about Scott Demore. Scott Demore, the president of TNA, was fired from total non-step action a few days ago at the time of this recording we're entering about day four or five at this time of recording and honestly this came as a big shock because i was not expecting them to actually cut ties with somebody who definitely has been a pivotal key point person in bringing tna back into the light honestly you look at how there's so much traction that has been going on since at least Bound for Glory, I would say. It just kept getting better and better and better. So hearing that he was cut was one of those things where I just had to scratch my head and think, well, why is that? Well, after doing a little bit of digging, I do have a couple of possibilities as to why that is. Um, we'll first start with this article from Wrestling inc.com in which it's entitled scott demore reportedly pushed for a bigger star tna budget and wanted to sign wwe star this was actually a very unique article for me to read but it says here and i quote anthem sports and entertainment announced earlier this week that scott demore had been fired as tna president while the reason for his dismissal has been yet to be disclosed dave meltzer wrote in the latest Wrestling Observer newsletter that a source close to the more revealed that Canadian had been pressing Anthem for a large budget for several years. Demore, who had been working with TNA since 2003 in various leadership roles, reportedly clashed with management several times over the years regarding the promotion's funds. Furthermore, Meltzer mentioned that there had been threats to quit, but Anthem saw Demore as a key individual they didn't want to lose. One scenario Demore reportedly became frustrated with was ahead of Bound for Glory 2021 where an agreement was supposedly in place to bring in former WWE Universal Champion Braun Strowman. The promotion was set to be dubbed to dub the event Braun for Glory. However, Anthem ultimately pulled the plug because of Strowman's high asking price and their belief that the monster among men would not improve TNA's business. Strowman returned to WWE the following year. And that's where we will stop with this one. There's a little bit more that they actually mentioned on here. Um, 
But I do want to also go into a couple of things for uh, a couple of news articles from uh, Cultaholic, actually. They had a couple of news articles that I looked at and I thought, okay, this might actually be interesting. In their one of their deals, uh, this was around the same day that Wrestling Inc. had their article released. Their title was Revealed Why TNA Wrestling Fired Scott Demore. I'll kind of do like a mixture of these. So only weeks after TNA had done Bound for Glory, uh, Scott Demore was fired. So now we'll get into the quote part of it. According to Mike Johnson of PW Insider, it is believed that Demore was fired after Anthem had lead as head Lynn Asper and the TNA president reached a crossroads and disagreed on how TNA should be operated. Demore in recent weeks approached Anthem with an offer to buy TNA wrestling and then TNA president had a letter backed by a major banking institution. Anthem did consider Demore's offer but they ultimately rejected it. Demore reportedly knew around a week to 10 days ago that Anthem would be making the change so he wasn't surprised by his TNA firing. Coach Demore's following the firing, Anthem will look to integrate TNA with the company's entertainment wing. The promotion's key personnel are still under contract, and Coach Demore has been the only key figure by Anthem. Coach Demore had several stints, which we'll stop right there. So basically what I'm gathering from this was that there was a lot of creative disputes behind the scenes when it came to how TNA was going to be operated. It looked like Coach Demore actually wanted to start getting uh, TNA on syndic- on an actual, uh, actual programming instead of the Access TV network. But it seems that Anthem has a different idea entirely. What that is, I am not sure. But as time goes on, hopefully we will get some more answers. But this is honestly a huge blow to TNA. They, again, mentioned the fact that this is the guy who literally brought TNA from obscurity and really built them up. I mean, you, I've mentioned this before. You think about all the crap that TNA has gone through since its inception. They've had to go through the reign of terror with Jeff Jarrett as the world champion at least six times in a matter of four years, I believe it was. They had everything that went on with Dixie Carter, Eric Bischoff, Hulk Hogan, uh, freaking uh, Billy Corgan, and them getting like completely you know, shafted by going from Spike TV to Destination America to Pop TV, and then they landed on Access. And let's also not forget the biggest blow to TNA, which was that they associated themselves with Vince Russo. Once publicly known, and once publicly not known, even though Rince Russo has denied it multiple times. I do not believe him for one bit that he has not been working with TNA in secret all those years. I can literally say that Vince Russo is full of crap, and I am not a huge fan of his whatsoever, so you will not be seeing a Christmas car coming from me, Mr. Vince Russo. And let's just hope that, you know, Jim Cornette still finds his time in his life to forgive you 
because we already know what he's going to do the day that you die, good sir. So now getting off of that tangent, TNA is going to be a very different show going forward. I can totally feel that. But at the same time, right now, they are on a huge wave of momentum in which everything seems to definitely be going in a good direction. So let's just hope that it doesn't just collapse right then and there. I know that the um, current TNA president is Anthony Sison, uh, I believe it is. And he's also the president of Anthem. He's taken over the whole entire deal. Actually, I'm going to go right back to um, the Wrestling Inc. article here because I think I definitely should mention this. Uh, and I quote, Demore has been replaced by Anthony Sision, who is also president of Anthem. According to the statement released by TNA on Wednesday, the move to terminate Demore's deal and assign Sision the role of president was made to further integrate TNA wrestling into Anthem's entertainment group. Sision, who was involved in bringing WWE to Canadian Channel, the score several years ago, will be, now be managing the day-to-day operations of TNA. This is going to be interesting. End quote. So, we'll just have to kind of wait and see what happens. I really do hate that it boiled down to that, but at the same time, I'm very curious to see where Tina goes from this. As far as Scott Demore, honestly, I am wishing you nothing but the best in whatever you do. I know that there's an article that Eric Bischoff thinks that he should go to AEW, in which he could probably help them with all their creative and such. Honestly, that would not be a bad thing. I really do believe that. If he brought you know, all of the things that he did in TNA into AEW, I feel like there would be a lot more sense of organization, and it would definitely bring a lot more attention to certain aspects of the product, mainly the women's division, and a lot of the stories that need to be told on the show. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see how that all boils down. But as it stands right now, TNA is in a very interesting position where do I think this is going to be the final blow? No, I still stay in true by what I said. I am hoping that there is still going to be that partnership between TNA and WWE. And honestly, like I said, within, I would definitely say within the next few years, I do believe that either WWE is going to help TNA get a network deal or they're going to buy out TNA. So we are going to see how that goes. I'm, I'm, I'm still hoping for the best, like I said. All right, so now we go from that to Final Resolution 2008, which took place on December 7th, 2008 in Orlando, Florida, in the Impact Zone, attendance of 1,200. Guys, this is a very unique show because it is solely based, again, on the main event Mafia, and two of the main matches that they have are Rhino against Kurt Angle and the main event Mafia versus the TNA Frontline. Main event is a eight-man tag team matchup in which, if Main Event Mafia wins, Sting retains a championship. If TNA Frontline wins, they 
uh, AJ Styles will be the TNA World Champion, which I will talk about that more when we get to that. But I will definitely also be talking about some of the things that took on during the show because there's a lot to unpack with this. There's a couple of fantasy booking deals I would think would work better for this. And some questionable booking decisions here. And honestly, you guys, you might be kind of shocked to hear that one of the matches that I had very low expectations for kind of exceeded them. So let's get right into talking about it. Like I said, the opening deal, just the opening package talks about the Frontline versus the Mafia. All throughout the weeks, they had those kind of sit-down interviews with Mafia members and with Frontline members where they're talking about what does respect mean to them. And then we get into the opening uh, pyro, such like that, with Mike Tanay and Don West announcing the card lineup. And the first matchup on the card is the Feast or Fired matchup. Feast or Fired is four poles on certain sides of the rings. Each of those poles will have a briefcase. Three briefcases will have championship opportunity implications, while the fourth one will have a pink slip. So you are either going to feast on a title shot or you will be fired. So in this matchup, we have Cute Kip, Sanjay Dunt, Jimmy Rave, Lance Rock making his return, honestly, Alex Shelley, BG James, Jay Lethal, Chris Saban, Consequences Creed, Curry Man, Hernandez, Homicide, and Stone Cold Shark Boy. That's the bottom line, because Shark Boy said so. Well, no, it's the fishing line, I should say. Anyway, so everybody is just going after each other. Everybody wants those opportunities. Uh, the guns, they're kind of in a corner just relaxing, mocking like, oh, look at these guys just fighting each other. Uh, we get a full moon courtesy of one Sanjay Dunt. Because why not at this point? Uh, Dunt, he kicks Hernandez in the gut. And then he's able to... Oh, this was a cool spot. So when he kicks him in the gut, he hops on Hernandez's back. And then he leaps up off of Hernandez to try and get to the pole and get the case that's up there. Uh, there's a lot of people that are outside. Homicide does a tope suicido to that sea of people. And we see... Jimmy Rave getting picked up by Hernandez, and he is thrown to the outside via border, to border toss, and Hernandez has a clear shot, climbs up, gets briefcase number four. Shark Boy and Lance Hoyt, Rock, Lance Rock, I should say, they come in, they're clearing house. We have Shark Boy doing his uh, Chummer Stunner deal. Lance Rock, he is doing random big moves, you know, big boots, a modified version of the F5. Uh, Curry Man, he gets to a corner, gets briefcase number three, and then he dives to the outside onto the Sea of People, and he is the owner of that briefcase. One thing I should have mentioned is that you get the briefcase, and you have to exit the ring with both feet hitting the floor to basically clinch that this is my briefcase so if you get the briefcase and you're still in the ring that does not count you have to make it to the floor which seems like a bit of an extra step but at the same time it does make it a little bit more of a challenge it's just spot fest city here you guys and honestly there's gonna be a couple matches where you're gonna tell that i'm not taking that much time putting detail into because there's no 
real point in it. And this is one of them. Homicide does a super cutter to Jay Lethal from the top. He steps on Sanjay, literally stepping on Sanjay to get briefcase number one. He is the owner of that one. The guns hit a sliced bread uh, powerbomb combination on Jimmy Rave. That spot was just absolutely awesome. They do a dropkick doomsday device to Jay Lethal. Then Alex Shelley, he's able to get to the top. He unlatches the briefcase and the gun celebrates in the ring. Jay Lethal, after the guns hit a couple of people with the briefcase and they're holding that briefcase in the air, Lethal does a springboard, leaps, grabs the briefcase, rolls under the ring, and he touches the floor. So technically, Jay Lethal wins briefcase number two. I gave this matchup a C. This was pretty underwhelming. It was a spot fest, and some of the spots here, they just didn't really add much to the match. It was just kind of one of those matches that was just kind of, eh, it's there to get everybody in, so why not at this point? Uh, but I will say this, that one thing I was not expecting was fans to be very, very vocal about how they thought the whole deal with Lethal and the guns played out. There were fans that were chanting, give it back, give it back, referring to the briefcase. Uh, JB has to explain the rules and lets them know that, well, you have to remember that you get the briefcase, you have to leave the outside you can't just be like oh the briefcase is mine it's like no you have to follow these rules um and shelly is just trying to get his attention he's basically just trying to be like hey no that's our briefcase that's our briefcase hello but jb not really having any of it it's kind of funny looking at this back now because jb is just trying to do his job and alex shelly is almost like a five-year-old basically just being like hey look at me look at me hey, pay attention to me look at me so in a weird twist, they actually reveal one of the briefcases on the show itself, with the th other three being revealed on Impact that Thursday. And the briefcase that gets revealed, you might have guessed it, ladies and gentlemen, case number two, held by Jay Lethal. He gets into the ring, they reveal the briefcase, and it's a tag team title shot. And fans are pissed. They are just chanting, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. They are not happy whatsoever. It, and shockingly enough, JB is not happy at all. He literally gets pissed off at Alex Shelley for giving him so much crap. Basically lays it all out. Calls Alex Shelley a baby and he calls him a total nonstop a-hole. And that he is the biggest pain in his ass. <laughs> and it's one of those things where JB just lays it all out. And Shelly just kind of backs away like, whoa, okay, okay, no need to be hostile. So, the, we now know that Jay Lethal has a guaranteed tag team title shot. Uh, I will reveal the contents of the briefcases right now, since I will not need to do them for the next show uh hernandez gets the tna world heavyweight title shot and homicide gets the x division title shot and you guys are right here the one who gets the fired briefcase is curry man and honestly it's one of the funniest ways that 
somebody's ever gotten fired. Curry Man doesn't fully comprehend that fired means that you are losing a job. He kind of sees it, and then he's just shaking hands with people, and he's saying, like, I, I'm facing the fire champion. And, and Lauren's like, no, no, Curry Man, you, you, you mean you actually got fired. And Curry Man's like, no, you cannot fire me. You cannot fire me. Security's just grabbing him. They're taking him out, and Curry Man breaks me. When he goes like, Lord, Lord, I love you. <laughs> it's so funny. And guys, I'm going to break this to you gently. And if you don't want spoilers, I would suggest probably fast forwarding about a quick minute. You got a chance. You got a chance. All right. Spoiler here. Curry Man is Christopher Daniels, who was fired by Feast or Fire deal later on, earlier on. Uh, was it this year? I think it might have been this year. Um, and I will tell you guys this, that Christopher Daniels will be making a comeback to TNA in the near future. When? I'll just have to tune in and see. So we go into a backstage segment with Charmel and the beautiful people. Charmel says that she looks beautiful, but she can be as ghetto as can be. Basically saying that she's going to beat up ODB. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, and calling ODB uh, saying that her uh, dimpled cellulite butt will get kicked tonight uh, beautiful people they know that they've been called like the bad girls club they're going to take out the trash and if they win they get a new crib basically how it all boils down to is that Booker T and the beautiful people have a understanding that if the beautiful people help Charmel beat ODB at the pay-per-view then they would get Booker T's locker room, essentially. And it's turned into a six-woman tag. So I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, they said that the <laughs> that the economy sucks because they own everything, which I thought was actually a really funny line. <laughs> then Angelia Love, she gets a call from the governor, Sarah Palin. Major quote-unquote. Uh and that she's stating that she is going to be coming to the impasse zone this Thursday. You heard me right. I said impasse zone. But it's supposed to be impact. So it's it's a Sarah Palin joke. Something like that. But let's go on to the next matchup, shall we? It's Charmel and the Beautiful People. Angela Love and Velvet Sky taking on the team of Roxy, ODB, and one Taylor Wilde. Uh, fans were really getting into the ladies at the beginning of this, and I kind of liked seeing that. The, the women definitely are getting some really good momentum going into the, this matchup here. You got the people booing the heels. You got people booing, got cheering the baby faces. Uh, Q-Cap distracts uh, ODB and gives the beautiful people the advantage. Charmel, she gets a couple of kicks in on ODB before running away like a coward. Uh, Taylor Wilde and Roxy, they come in, they kind of do their stuff. Taylor Wilde getting a couple of drop kicks and a tilt world backbreaker. Um, cute Kip, he kind of gets involved here, and it's not a disqualification. So ODB hits uh, Cute Kip and runs after Charmel. Then we see Taylor Wilde catch Angelia Love, uh, who attempts a crossbody and rolls her to a pinning predicament, getting the win for Roxy, ODB, and Taylor Wilde. 
uh, this matchup, this was kind of a rough one to get through. Um, I give this one a D. It's one of those things where there are so many weird things that are going on here. It's a little bit chaotic for me. And I will also state that the finish definitely felt flat. I was not expecting Angela Love to do a crossbody. Uh, and the way that they had that finish take place, it's a classic kind of deal. But at the same time, it just... I felt like they were starting to get some momentum, but then it just kind of stopped, basically. So, not a good start for the ladies here. We have Eric Young backstage. He's talking about uh, fighting for his hopes and his dreams because he's got an X-Division title matchup against Sheik Abdul-Bashir, which, my God, there is a weird-ass story when it comes to that. Uh, the guns interrupt, and... Eric Young, he basically cuts them both down for being childish and just basically tell, tells them they need to knock that crap off. And these, the guns are like, you know what, you're right, you're right. Would you allow us to have a moment with uh, with uh, JB? Shelly intimidates JB uh, before basically asking where McFoley is. And JB says McFoley's in Jeff Jarrett's lock, uh, office. So... Basically, Shelly was just like, you do that again, and I'm going to make sure that you don't do it ever again. That kind of deal. Um, for going off on him. Up next, we have Eric Young challenging Sheik Abdul-Bashir for the X Division Championship. My God, this story is really weird. So Sheik Abdul-Bashir has been having an issue with referee Shane Sewell for the longest time. Just getting in his face, pushing him around, just really treating him bad. And Shane Sewell is a uh, former wrestler who now works as a referee, and he's basically being told, told, no, dude, you can't let your emotions get the better of you. Because there are some times where Sheik Abdul-Bashir got beaten up by Shane Sewell after the matchup. Or, in the case of the buildup for this, during the exhibition title match that he had with Eric Young on Impact, where... Eric Young was just about to lose the title to Sheik Abdul-Bashir. Uh, he did a sunset flip to Sheik, and Shane Sewell stopped uh, Sheik from cheating and counted the 1-2-3, giving Eric Young the win and the X-Division title. Jim Cornette said, we cannot have that. We cannot have you do that. So it reverted back to Sheik Abdul-Bashir. So basically, that's where this rematch is happening. And Jim Cornette said, you need to keep your emotions in check, Shane. You cannot let Sheikh Abdul-Bashir get the better of you. Because the problem is, if you lay your hands on Sheikh Abdul-Bashir again, it could cost you your job. So we get to the matchup here. And weirdly enough, Sheikh Abdul-Bashir, he actually doesn't have the title coming out. Shane Sewell already has the title belts with him in the ring as both Eric Young and Sheik come out. That was weird. I was like, wait, what? Why, why would that happen? Why would that be a thing? Uh, <laughs> he, um, he does check on Sheik Abdul-Bashir. He does like the whole like, you know, patting on the legs and boots to Sheik. And Sheik's just like, hey, check Eric, check Eric. He, he barely does anything to Eric Young. I was laughing my ass off. I thought that was funny. It was just one of the things where he was just like, okay, give me like, Okay, we're done. Go ahead. So we start off with a young Luthez press by Eric Young. Yeah, Eric Young does his uh, rope-up move, which is kind of like a variation of the Ric Flair deal. 
Um, he also does the, oh my gosh. So there was a point where Sheikh Abdul-Sheer tossed Eric Young out of the ring and Young did the Triple H spot where Triple H kind of goes over the ropes onto the floor. Uh, he did this at the Crown Jewel event that we would like to forget. And that's where he like tore his, like, tore his pec muscle. Um, so it was just one of those things where I can't watch that move without thinking, ooh, somebody's going to get their pec ripped. It's not good. Sheikh Abdul-Bashir doing some a variation of the Ziggler-style elbow drops where he just goes one elbow, two elbow, three elbow. He just doesn't do the leap at the end. Um, a stretch to a drop. Oh, that's right. Um, <laughs> he does a, a abdominal, he does like a stretch while Eric Young is seated. Then he does a drop kick to the back of the head, and then he goes right back to that stretch. So it was kind of like, oh, that's that's kind of interesting. Uh, Eric Young is able to hit a reverse kick to get out of it. He does a back suplex, a top rope elbow, not able to get the pin there. Um, he misses the moonsault. Sheikh Abdul-Bashir goes for the weapon of mass destruction DDT, but Eric Young blocks it. Uh, we see a Young Blood neckbreaker by Eric Young. One, two, but Sheikh gets his foot on the rope, so the count is broken up. Shane tries to stop Sheikh from beating up Eric Young too hard, but he just gets pushed. And we see Sheikh Abdul-Bashir. Uh, oh, I might have... Spoiled the ending for this one. I thought this happened on Impact, but no. Eric Young does a sunset flip, and Sheikh Abdul-Bashir is trying to stop himself by grabbing onto the ropes. Shane Sewell kicks the arms of Sheikh Abdul-Bashir, which allows Eric Young to do a roll-up for the one, two, three. Eric Young is your new X-Division champion. Yeah, I might have spoiled the finish to that a little bit, but at the same time, this feud is so forgettable but honestly the match itself i gave it a b i thought it was really good i really loved the uh interactions that these two have they have pretty good chemistry not the best but still pretty good chemistry and i think the finish was definitely one that felt kind of rewarding where it was like you know what shane Sewell's probably gonna lose his job but he definitely uh it was definitely warranted it's one of those things where it's like well he shoved the referee one too many times. So it's one of those things where it's like, dude, you you, you poked the bear, so he's going to fight back. And you know what? After the matchup, Sheikh Abdul-Bashir, he hits and he shoves Shane Sewell. And Shane Sewell just decides, you know what? I'm tired of your shit. Beats him down. Beats him down. Punches him. And then we get our one and only Spagango back body drop of the night by Shane Sewell. Sheikh tosses Eric Young to the outside. And he just bloody Shane Sewell with a title belt shot and some punches. He's just got like your know, blood on his hand. He's got blood on his uh, his uh, towel hat kind of thing. He leaves with the championship belt thinking like, oh yeah, I did this right. I did this. And then Jim Cornette, he comes out and he takes the belt. He basically <laughs> he basically um, is just just not happy with how this all went down. Sheikh Abdul-Bashir yells at Jim Cornette in a different language. And Jim Cornette's just like, learn English. I don't care what you have to say. Just, I love Jim Cornette. He's so freaking entertaining. 
All right, now we go on to the TNA Knockouts World Championship as Christy Hemi takes on Awesome Kong. Now, Awesome Kong was threatening uh, Tracy, the lockout, the knockout uh, GM, essentially, the Law and Order, basically, saying to Tracy that Kong requires more competition. Christy Hemi, she steps up. She's saying that she's ready for a shot at Awesome Kong. And Tracy's just kind of like, look, I know you've been training with AJ Styles for three months, but I just don't know if you're ready. But basically he says, well, you need to earn your shot. So here, take on Raisha Saeed. And if you beat her, that'll impress me enough. So not only does Christy Hemi beat Raisha Saeed to earn this opportunity, but in a mixed tag team matchup, which was Raisha Saeed and Scott Steiner taking on Christy Hemi and AJ Styles. Christy Hemi pins Awesome Kong in that matchup. It was one of those things where it's like, whoa, this this happened? And I will tell you guys this, that there is um, a lot of people that were not happy about Christy getting in this matchup because they make it seem like, oh, she's only got three months of experience. It's like, no, she's had experience because she also worked in WWE as well. And honestly, it was one of those things where I looked at this and I thought, you know what? She's getting better. So that's that's something. I came in here with probably the lowest of expectations, thinking like, this matchup's going to be hard to watch. I, I can just tell. We have uh, Sergeant Leslie Mansour, Mansour, I think it is, uh, coming out to announce Christy Hemi for coming out. And there's a sign that says, Hemi wins, we riot. Christy Hemi is not John Cena, so shut up, dude. I will say this, that it is really funny that they show that sign, and then they realize, oh, that's not a good sign. Let's back up. It was like maybe two seconds, and then they're like, okay, we got to back away from that. So Christy hits a crossbody to the outside on Kong. She goes for a a split kick onto Kong, but uh, yeah, awesome Kong grabs her and just drops her hits her with a choke bomb and then she gets christy up in this reverse rack and this is something that they really hit home with was that christy hemi actually got injured from this same move at bomb for glory because basically what it was that when she has her up in this reverse rack she is basically taking the foot of christy and god bless her for being so flexible she's basically just like Make it look at, she's just looking like she is kicking Christy in the head with her own foot. It is one of the most surreal things. It is one of the scariest things. It's one of those things where I'm like, God, I hope that she does not have like serious brain injury from that. Uh, the crowd is just in shock seeing Christy Hemi pulling this off. Um, we see Christy Hemi. She hits a beautiful tornado DDT, and then she hits the fire crotch guillotine, I believe is what they call it, which is basically a split from the second rope. People were really getting into it. There's just kind of went from like, no, we don't want Crispy to win, to like, okay, actually, you know what? Yeah, yeah, let's see Christy go. Let's let's kind of see this. This could this could be good. Um, but then Saeed, she comes in the ring. She's attacking Christy Hemi. That calls for the DQ. She's able to fight off Saeed. And then Christy and Kong, they're having a 
brawl between the two of them. We get security people involved. We're getting people just in there just trying to pull apart these women. Kong is throwing people. Chrissy's sliding through, attacking Kong. And people are just going crazy. Like, oh, yeah, let's go. These women are doing it. Let them fight. Let them fight. Let them fight. They are just getting so into this. It is amazing how just quickly they were just like, went from, you know what, this is going to suck. This this is just bad. To, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, let's see these women go. Let's see them keep, let them keep going. It just got better and better as the match goes on. That's why I gave this one a B. And honestly, for it being like a five-minute matchup, this was one of the major highlights of the show. Just seeing Christy go from, you know, headlining WrestleMania to this deal and her putting on a really good matchup. She only needed the five minutes, honestly. And Kong, she still looked very strong. It literally took a lot to take her down, and that's the story that we've always told. But you also have to remember that she was beaten by Yael Kim in an ODQ matchup, so she can be beaten. That's the thing. So her having Christy Hemi get some offense in and uh, possibly having this idea that she could have the victory, it's not really as disbelievable as you might think. So let's go into the next segment, which is a Kurt Angle segment. And, oh, geez. First thing I have in my notes on here is that Kurt Angle feels ecstasy. And all I thought to myself was, oh, God, this is going flashbacks to Judgment Day promo. Not the Judgment Day promo, but that SmackDown promo where he just basically saying, Booker, I want to have sex with your wife. And I'm just like, no, no, Kurt, no, 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 no. But basically he's in ecstasy because he believes that he is just one win away from getting what he wants, and that's a match with Jeff Jarrett at Genesis. Basically, he is, he is the hunter. He is on the hunt. And it's ironic because of the fact that um, the only thing standing between him and Jeff Jarrett is a rhino. He goes into like the gruesome details of like, oh, I'm like this hunter, hunter that's just ready for the kill. I'm ready to just tear apart my kill. He gives props for Rhino for sparking a fire under the front line, and that that flame is going to be nothing compared to his fire for Jeff Jarrett. And that he tells JB, "Don't worry about McFoley. He's taken care of. Boy, is he ever!" <laughs> Up next, we have the TNA World Tag Team Championships as we have Matt Morgan and Abyss challenging bigger money for the tag team titles. Um, so the story about this is that we had a ladder match in which Abyss and Matt Morgan, they won. They're the number one contenders. Then they go to like a backstage segment about a week before the show where Abyss is getting drunk with the... Uh, with beer, with beer money, he is supposed to be like the simple-minded kind of monster instead of this deadly monster, which I thought oh, that's dumb. But um, basically, he gets drunk from this, and Matt Morgan is nowhere to be around. And beer money take advantage of the fact that oh, this is drunk. Well, now we're going to beat the shit out of him. And that's kind of where the story is for this. So not really that much to say about this build, uh, Abyss. He, I stand corrected. We have another Spagingo back body drop. Also, shout out to the Ruthless Aggression, Ruthless Aggression Era podcast, American version, for the Spagingo. Uh, he hits the back body drop to Bobby Roode. 
Matt Morgan comes out with a crossbody to the outside. Beer Money needed to get back into the ring because they decided, oh, we're we're not we're not doing this anymore. We're we're just leaving. And the referee says, well, if you leave, you will forfeit your tag team titles. So they have like the kind of the count of ten to do that, and they're just scared of Abyss. They do not. <laughs> They do not want to get involved in him at all. So we get the strong moves by Matt Morgan and Abyss. Beer Money get a chance to work on Matt Morgan's knee. Uh, Morgan's able to, despite having a bad knee, hit a double suplex. Abyss gets in. He does a choke slam. He does a shock treatment. Uh, Storm teases the beer bottle to the head, but Abyss is able to get it as the referee's back his turn. Jackie Sheet interferes. And... Then we see James Storm use some brass knuckles on Abyss, covers him for the one, two, three, and Beer Money retain. This was a C matchup. This was nothing really too special. There are a couple of good spots here and there, but it's kind of average. There's nothing really more you can say about this. Mick Foley says that he has the easiest job, and that's just keeping the Mafia out. And then we have the Motor City Machine Guns. They come over. And they are just insulting McFoley's fashion sense, and they want they want that briefcase. They believe that because the fact that they had ownership, even though they weren't on the arena floor, they should be the holders of that briefcase. Foley is pissed at Shelley. He is just like yelling at Shelley, thinking that oh well, you're not going to get everything that you want because that is not how it works. But basically, Shelley says we're going to go out to the ring, and we are hoping that you're going to do the right thing. Basically, Mick Foley thinks that his vengeance is coming. And honestly, I think it's a probably a good good guess on that. The guns, they come out and they claim that the pay-per-view providers will charge double just to see them. because, <laughs> And that they want their briefcase. They basically stage a sit-in where they just grab some steel chairs. They sit in the middle of the ring and they're basically saying, we're not going to let this pay-per-view go on any further until you give us our briefcases. And Jim Cornette, he comes out, he calls them a bunch of crybabies. He wants them to leave before they cause more problems. <laughs> uh, Alex Shelley does a like Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton reference. Basically saying, we're not these two old farts. We're the Motor Machine Guns. We're better than this and we can handle anything. Jim threatens to get the security guys. He actually walks to the back to get the security guys. And as Alex Shelley and Chris Saban, they're sitting in the ring in their chairs. Lights go out. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming alive. Out from the rafters on a little like a zipline deal is the debuting suicide come alive he gets in the ring and he beats down both alex shelley and chris saban he hits the suicide solutions uh slam on shelley hits a shotgun dropkick to chris saban i always keep forgetting that suicide did the shotgun dropkick before uh finn balor made it really famous on uh, wwe and then he hits a, a suicide hits a neckbreaker DDT combo where he hits a neckbreaker on one gun, but hits a neckbreaker on the other. And then he walks up the ramp, 
and that's kind of the segment. So honestly, it's a pretty good segment to debut a new character. They've been promoting the fact that this is the guy from the the you know, TNA video game and that he was going to make a huge impact, and boy, did he ever. Uh, this will continue on for a few more weeks. I do know that there's going to be a... Actually, I'm trying to think. I don't know if Suicide makes his debut on Impact. I think he actually makes it on pay-per-view. I will definitely have to look that up as I'm uh, as as I'm uh, doing this. But we go backstage to a interview with Lauren and Rhino. Now, in the past, Rhino has definitely cut some really good fiery promos and he okay so it so suicide does make his debut at at a different show so he's only like a couple shows away but that'll be one of those things we'll get to it when we get to it <laughs> we'll get down when we get down um to the point where he literally tells lauren that he needs to go so at the start of this literally lauren just asks I shouldn't be here, should I? And Rhino's like, no, you shouldn't. And this is really crazy because Rhino usually has like this kind of intensity about him where he is just like, I'm going to break your ass in half with a gar, gar, gar. This time around, he makes a very like soft and like stoic um, kind of deal where he basically saying, Kurt Angle, I'm a focused man. You are sick for bringing Jeff's daughters into this. And I'm telling you this right now. This victory is going to be not for Jeff, but for his kids. He's a that he's a violent man, and tonight he's up in the violence. So we go into that matchup, ladies and gentlemen, and that is Rhino versus Kurt Angle with Mick Foley as the guest referee. Now. In this matchup, if Kurt Angle wins, he gets his rematch with Jeff Jarrett at the next show, TNA Genesis. However, if Rhino beats Kurt Angle, basically what ends up happening is that Kurt Angle has agreed to quit TNA, basically. There's like a deal where um, I guess Kurt Angle had in his contract that he couldn't really just be fired. But basically, if Kurt Angle loses, then he's gone, basically. Somehow they found a way to make this work. All right, so we go into damn it all. I forgot about this. So during this matchup, you hear one lady, she's just going, come on, Kurt, 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 come on, Kurt. I'm like, oh, my God, shut the fuck up. It was almost as bad as, come on, Nikki. Come on, Nikki. And I'm thinking to myself, which was worse? Um, I will say this woman is worse because at least with Bree, she knew when to stop. This woman did not. She just wanted Kurt to win, and she also just did not know when to shut the hell up. So Rhino says that he's going to up the violence on this, and what do they do? They start with a lockup. Already, this 
that promo is just worthless. Uh, Rhino looks to hit a corner elbow, but Kurt Angle stops him. And Rhino, when Kurt Angle stops him, he's able to just get a spinning elbow into it. It looks really good. Rhino gets thrown into the barricade. He attempts to do a counter to a side headlock with a kind of all this move. Jesus. So Kurt Angle has Rhino in like a side headlock. And he picks up Kurt Angle. It looks like he's going to do like the Ryback shell shock deal. But Kurt Angle holds on to Rhino. It was a really cool spot where I thought that could have ended badly actually. But it looked really good. And it's Kurt Angle, so what can you expect? <laughs> um, Kurt Angle hits a belly-to-belly. Rhino responds with a spine buster. Kurt Angle hits a German. Rhino hits a belly-to-belly. Kurt Angle counters the gore with a sunset flip into an ankle lock because why the hell not? It's Kurt Angle. He knows how to make anything into an ankle lock. Rhino does an alley-oop uh, powerbomb into the turnbuckle. We get an angle slam by Kurt Angle. Rhino hits a corner gore to the referee by mistake. Kurt Angle, he gets a chair. He looks to hit Rhino with it, but Mick Foley stops him from having that happen. We see Rhino do a roll-up onto Kurt Angle, and it's a close near fall. It was like, it was one of those things where I legit thought that was three, and I'm like, oh, they painted themselves into a major bad corner right now. But, nope, they were able to, they won't stop it. We get a superplex by Rhino, and it looks like we're going to see a Rhino victory, but who should appear? Al? <laughs> Al Snow comes out. He comes to ringside. Mick Foley, he is just all confused. He's just like, hey, what are you doing here? Al Snow, bam, slaps Mick Foley in the face, kind of taking him out, and then Al Snow climbs the barricade. He goes to the other side. Foley's just like, well, what the hell was that for? He just leaves the ring. He's trying to figure out what's going on. Kurt Angle hits a chair shot to the face of Rhino, an angle slam, and covers Rhino. Mick Foley, he gets in the ring. One two, three. Kurt Angle gets his rematch with Jeff Jarrett at Genesis. He says that he is going to be ready. He's ready to cripple Jeff and that he's going to beat. <laughs> he literally says that he said that he's going to beat the shit out of Mick Foley next. Uh, as far as the matchup goes, I gave this one a C. The fact that they promoted this one as a match where Kurt Angle's career was on the line had some very high expectations on it. But also the fact that Rhino said he's upping the violence, I was expecting more from that. And unfortunately, it underdelivered. It it sucked. It really did suck that they didn't up it that much more. If Rhino would have came out there, maybe he hit like the gore at the beginning, that would have been a way to get people to be like, oh my God, this this is almost over. Holy shit. But no, it was just one of those things where it's like lock up great just just great you just ruined that whole entire promo we go backstage and we have a double kind of uh interview segments where we go to the mafia locker room and sting is very confident that he will retain that he knew 
that this was going to be around. He knew that you know this this stuff was going to happen, and he is thankful that he was. You know, he's surrounded by experience. He's thankful that he's surrounded by his family. Frontline, they are basically having the question: Can they trust Team 3D? Is this more of kind of a deal where it's going to be a double cross? And they did the right thing, and they are like bro- brothers. What I mean by that is that when ECW uh, like shut down, they still stayed together. I think that was what the phrase was, and they they were like brothers to the uh, the front line. It's like you know you stuck to your guts, you knew what was right. We appreciate it. You're like brothers to us, or so we think. Because as they left, Bubba Ray, brother Ray, said to Devon, "You got this." And Devon's like, oh, I got it. I'm going to be honest. This was one of those things where I was like, this was never really followed through again. Because this made no sense. Honestly, this made no sense to me that they put that there. Anyway, we go to the main event, ladies and gentlemen. It's for the World Heavyweight Championship, an eight-man tag team matchup as it's Team Frontline headed up by AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and Team 3D against the main event mafia, Sting, Kevin Nash, Scott Steiner, and Booker T. Oh my gosh, do we have quite a bit to unpack here. So, they make this eight-man tag team matchup, and uh, Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, they have to find two more partners. And around this time, Team 3D, they made their return. And basically, you have Team 3D being torn between, do they join the Mafia or do they join the front line? Well, it seems like for a moment that they were going to join the Mafia because the Mafia gave them suits, basically saying that if you wear this, we know that you are siding with us. Well, they came out in the suits. And Team 3D, they're talking about how we have this huge collection of world heavyweight champions here. And they want to have one of the best tag teams to be a part of that faction. What more do you, what more could you ask for? I mean, money, women, it's an amazing deal. And it kind of ends with them both opening their vests, their jackets. And inside the, in the, inside the pockets is a billing club where Brother Ray has a really good line of, if being in the front line is wrong, then I don't want to be right. They beat down on the mafia, and they basically talk about how we've seen something like this happen before, and we're not going to let it happen again in wrestling. So there's a little bit of distrust here with Team 3D, especially with that final bit of that promo. But it seems like right now they definitely want to show that TNA is their home and TNA is the place that they want to be at. So we get some great back and forth with Booker T and AJ Styles, which ends with AJ Styles hitting his beautiful dropkick. Then we get Ray and Steiner. They get a little back and forth with Scott Steiner missing an elbow drop and... A brother Ray, he gets close to hitting the bionic elbow elbows, but the 
but Scott Steiner counters it, and then Ray catches him, hits him with the rock bottom instead. Joe, he does his uh, chops and kick to the back on Sting very hard because there's a lot of history between these two. Don't forget that. Sting, he gets a rake to the eye and hits Samoa Joe before Nash comes in, beats him down a bit. He gets a few kicks in on before Devon gets tagged in and just wrecks everybody. I mean, wrecks everybody. He does like the spinning elbow to Kevin Nash twice. He gets everybody except Sting. Sting hits Devon, and Devon eats a big boot from Kevin Nash and a side slam. Scott Steiner with a beautiful Steiner to belly suplex. <laughs> I'm just going to call it that from now on. I, I did not write that in my notes, but I'm calling it that now. Devon, after a beatdown by Scott Steiner and Booker T, hits a diving headbutt on Scott Steiner. Gets a tag in. Ray hits a corner. Brother Ray gets a corner splash in. He hits a back suplex to Nash, which honestly, the fact that Brother Ray had that kind of power to pick Nash up and hit him with that, that was great. Joe hits a knee drop and then gets racked by the post because Scott Steiner. Uh, Sting hits a drop kick. We see Scott Steiner hitting the elbow and a complete shot to Samoa Joe. He's getting beaten down. A chop off with Samoa Joe and Booker T, which I thought was beautiful. It was one of those things like, why can't we get this intensity? Why didn't we have this intensity between these two when they were feuding? What the hell? Uh, Samoa Joe hits a side, eats a side kick from Booker T. Booker T does the spinner Rooney. Scott Steiner hits a super belly to belly, Skyner to belly suplex. Sting eats the knees when he goes for a splash on the top rope on Samoa Joe. Joe hits a corner Uranagi to Scott Steiner. Tag is made. AJ Styles comes in. He's a house of fire. He is splashing everybody in sight. Joe hits a T bone suplex. We get a melee from everybody until a little later on. We get. A 3D to Booker T. A suplex by Scott Steiner. A bubble bomb to Scott Steiner by Ray. Ray gets hit with a chokeslam by Kevin Nash. Nash gets hit with a phenomenal forearm by AJ Styles. We see... uh, (laughs) We see uh, Sting lock in a Scorpion Deathlock on AJ Styles, but... Samojo comes in and just chops him to break it up. I thought that was great. Samojo, he goes for a muscle buster on Sting. But unbeknownst to the referee, Kevin Nash hits a low blow. And Sting's able to hit a scorpion death drop for the win here. I have been really debating on this. I wanted to give it a B, but I think I'm going to have to give... uh, I think there was still some good excitement to it. There's a lot of good stuff about it. So I'm still going to stick with my gut and say that it was a B. This was a matchup that was very chaotic, but I feel like there was enough admin in this to where everybody knew their spots. Everybody knew how they were going to make this matchup flow nicely, make it work. There was enough points where they had like, you know, okay, this person's paired up with this, and then this person's paired up with this, and then this, 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 this. this. It kind of was like a... A diagonal effect and it worked out really nicely so it was kind of cool to see that after the matchup though sting while the main event mafia is uh celebrating he is leaving he just feels kind of disgusted about how that finish happened and mafia is just all confused but they're still celebrating the victory once again 
the Mafia are winless, winful. They win again at another pay-per-view. So 2-0 right now for clean sweeps on the Mafia side. So the final rating that I have for the show is that I gave it a C. This definitely felt like a bit of a drop from the last show. Last show we had, there was that great opening matchup and there was enough matchups in there where I just felt like, okay, this is good, this is good, this is good. But there was enough here where I just was very disappointed in how everything else kind of happened. The tag team title matchup was definitely underwhelming. The women's match got to be a little bit ridiculous. Um, The match between Kurt Angle and Rhino definitely under-delivered and underperformed. And the only other thing I think I had for this would have been the Feaster Fired matchup, which, my God, that thing is just a Russo mess just waiting to be unpacked like Pandora's box, apparently. So, yeah, no, it was a pretty average to almost below average events. I'm hoping that the shows get better. I know that with Kurt Angle and Jeff Jarrett as the headline sh- uh, for the next show, Genesis, that should be good. But I also know that on that show, we're going to be dealing with a bit of a roadblock. Mafia, they have a good good streak going, but that gets to a screeching halt on the next show. So I did mention that there were some kind of fantasy booking ideas I had for the Feaster Fired. They're not really that prolonged, honestly. The two things I would have had changed was that I would still have the guns win the tag team title shot. And you can you could start the feud between Motor City Machine Guns and Beer Money. Continue to have that on. And honestly, it would probably be a really good thing for the front line. It really could have. I mean... People were definitely more behind the guns than behind Jay Lethal and his future tag team partner, Consequences Creed. Oh, boy. Um, The X Division title shot, I would have given that to Sanjay Dunt, actually, because I think that he is long overdue at this point for a title shot. And honestly, there's a story that they could have told there where Val... SoCal Val is still with Sanjay Dunn at this point. So what they could have done is they could have had it literally be Sanjay Dunn wins the title, and now she is just getting just completely spoiled with, you know, with gifts and shit like that because with the title comes more money because you're getting paid more. So she's basically almost like running out the credit cards and shit like that. And then once he loses the title, you know, Obviously, it's a callous move, but she could just literally leave him. And then he has to reestablish himself, and he would be a bigger babyface at that point. Maybe get a new gimmick. Maybe get a new lease on life. It's kind of like the, you know, like this, this sad Corbin deal. It's not really that hard. Wrestling's not that hard. I just, I didn't understand why it was a homicide. I really didn't. As far as the world title one, I couldn't really think of anybody else that you could have had for that. So I think I would just keep it on Hernandez for now. So, that's how I would have had it fantasy booked. But, um, yeah, no, we have another pretty decent show on the next one, which is going to be Genesis. Um, great. I'm, I'm looking at some of the matches on here, and I know that probably the match of the night is going to be for the X Division title because this will give you guys a little bit of pretext going into the next show. The X Division title 
gets held up because of all this controversy. So there's an eight-man tournament to determine who is going to be the next X Division champion. So we got two matches basically announced for that show, essentially. And it's only going to get bigger and better from there. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But thank you guys so much for listening in. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting WrestleAttic Radio. Uh, I've been your host, Nate the FN Great, and you can always follow me on social media at RealFNGame, which is on the Instagram and the X Twitter. You could also check out everybody else on WrestleAttic Radio from the Young Lions perspective, Kings of the Rings, and the WrestleMania podcast, as well as other former shows that were on the show on our podcast feeds. Check out our merchandise, check out our Patreon, and... Like every, like every other week, you're going to be enjoying some great stuff on Discord. So, not every other week. Every day, you're enjoying something on Discord. But we're getting into some really great stuff on Discord. So, definitely, if you hadn't had a chance, go check out our Discord. Be a part of that. And be a part of the conversations. Be a part of the fun that we have on WrestleAttic Radio. Thank you guys so much for listening in. I'll see you on the next episode. Toodaloo. Ta-ta for now.